The key to sustainable leadership lies in the ability to thrive in uncertainty, ambiguity, and change. Grand Heron International brings you the Coaching Assistance Program, giving your employees on-demand coaching to manage through a challenging situation and arrive at a solution. Visit grandheroninternational.ca slash podcast to learn more. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, a podcast dedicated to promoting leadership development and sharing leadership insights. Here's your host, the Leadership Accelerator, Eddie Turner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, the podcast dedicated to leadership development and insights. I'm your host, Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator. I work with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact through the power of executive and leadership coaching, facilitation, and professional speaking. Did you know that client leadership is a leadership competency for 21st century leaders? I did not know that. But because of my guest today, I learned that it is imperative that today's business leader can no longer be satisfied with having an internal focus. Today's leader must be externally focused as well and develop key client relationships. Here today to talk about client leadership is Andrew Sobel. Andrew Sobel is the leading authority on the strategies and skills required to earn lifelong client loyalty and build trusted business partnerships. He is the most widely published author in the world on this topic. He's written nine highly acclaimed books on developing the relationships that matter with your clients and for your career. His books have been translated into 21 different languages. He has published over 400 articles and contributed chapters to four books on leadership, strategy, and marketing. You'll find his work in USA Today, The New York Times, Business Week, Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and others. And he's also appeared on numerous television programs. I am super excited to have with me today, Andrew Sobel. Andrew, welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast. Thank you so much, Eddie. I'm uh, really delighted to be here and to have this conversation. Well, Andrew, I always say I'm excited to have my guests because I always am because each person is so unique. But I'm going to say something to my Keep Leading audience that I don't even think you know. And that is that I have very few people I consider a business hero, Uh, but you're one of them. And you're one of them ever since I met you with Bob Dean back at Hydrant and Struggles. 
And you just released the book all for one, if I'm not mistaken, at that time. Yes, that's right. Yeah, like 2009. Yes, yes. And so we brought you in to work with our executive leadership around the globe. And I was extremely impressed. And I uh, read that book. And later on, you released uh, Building C-Suite Relationships. And my favorite book is Power Questions that you released. But you also had a podcast at that time. And I still have that podcast on my iPhone to this day. And my favorite episode was the episode that you produced about Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, yes. <laughs> if I pronounce it correctly, because you told us how it should be pronounced on the show. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, most a lot of people say, call him da Vinci. But actually, he's referred to as Leonardo, if you only use one word, because da Vinci just means from the city of Vinci. Yes, yes. And something else that you said about him and how he was the world's first management consultant. Can you just share that with my listeners? Oh, sure. So Leonardo uh, had apprenticed at a young age uh, with a famous Florentine artist. And I think he, at that point, was around... 21, 22 years old, and was frankly looking for work. But most of the big commissions with the Medici rulers of Florence were already had already been given out to other famous artists. And he wrote a letter to, uh, I believe it was uh, Sforza, the Duke of Milan, who and said, uh, "I can help you design very advanced weapons of war." You know, and he gave he wrote this long letter telling him all about the things he could literally invent for him that would give him a competitive advantage. Uh, and he was hired by by uh, Sforza, and he went up and spent a couple of years in Milan, and he was basically his consultant. You know, he consulted to him on military strategy, weapons, on, uh, for example, things like how to drain you know swampy land so it would be more fit for uh, battle uh, all kinds of fortifications you name it so I, I like to say 500 years ago he was the first management consultant yes yes and you highlighted so many different things about this person who most of us might have only thought of as just being a great painter you talked about him being a renaissance man and all these other areas and that really resonated with me because I was a person who had multiple skills and was just starting to be able to get the opportunity to leverage them. And there's a phrase that you introduced that I adopted as part of my own way of describing myself. And I always gave you attribution. And that was, you talked about being a deep generalist and a deep specialist. Yeah. 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 The deep generalist, uh, you know, I guess the deep part, you know, is your core expertise as a as a provider, whether you're a you know lawyer, consultant, banker, you name it, accountant, there's your that deep expertise you need to bring to the table. Like yours is around leadership and leadership effectiveness, but you also have to bring a broader set of skills that you layer on top of that, both uh, big picture thinking skills and relational skills what we call business acumen. So you have to layer those broader skills on top of your core expertise. And if you can do that, it's a very powerful combination because then you're not only able to advise a client about your specific expertise, but you are able to contextualize your solutions within their entire business and their business goals. So it's sort of like the difference between going to see a really great 
internist or general practitioner for your health who's looking holistically at, at your health, at all your you know, bodily systems versus when you go and see a very narrow specialist, I mean, you know, maybe a dermatologist or podiatrist who looks at your feet and so on. Uh, so I, I think in many professions, you need to be that deep generalist. In, and especially, Eddie, if you want to work in the C-suite, uh, if you want to work with top executives, you've got to bring that bigger picture thinking. You've got to build that deep personal trust you've, and so on uh, that, that is characteristic of a, of a deep generalist. Absolutely. And that's been a theme through a lot of your work that I've had a chance to read and what I remember from the time I had the privilege to work with you. And you have a new book coming where you continue to share your wisdom with readers. It starts with clients is the name of your new book. Tell us a little bit uh, about uh, when people can access that. Sure. It starts with clients is being uh, released at the end of March. It's around March 31st, uh, April 1st, uh, in that period. It's going to be available. It comes out from Wiley, uh, John Wiley and Sons, my publisher. And it starts with clients really is a guidebook to growing your client base. It is built around what I call a 100-day challenge. So let's call it you know, 15 weeks. It's built around a 100-day challenge, and it looks at 14 major challenges that all of us face in growing a client base. I don't care if you're a banker, if you're in sales for a company, if uh, you're in client service, if you're a consultant, whatever. We all have to overcome these challenges in order to build clients for life. And that's how that's what the book is structured around. And it really incorporates everything I've learned in, in 25 years of research, uh, interviews with at this point, about 8,000 uh, top executives and, and successful rainmakers. It really packages all of that into these, uh, around these 14 key challenges. And uh, I'm really excited about the book. And I am excited as well. Thank you for sending me an advanced copy to review before our, our session today. Uh, one of the things that you introduced or that you talk about and that you taught me that I didn't know is this concept about client leadership that it is a leadership competency. Can you share with my listeners uh, your thinking around that? Sure, Eddie. Uh, so the, my, what opened my eyes to this was uh, years ago, I began working with a big Fortune 500 company uh, in the New York area, big technology company. And they were always very client and customer focused. They invested heavily in client service. They uh, had an organization structure that was really focused on the client marketplace and so on. And they were very, very successful because of this. They called it their client first strategy. Anyway, at a certain point, I was doing some executive development with them and they shared with me their leadership competency framework, which they had you know, spent a lot of time thinking about. And one of the five competencies was called client leadership. And so this just, I guess, confirmed what I had always just felt intuitively that client leadership, the ability to lead in the client marketplace is, is a fundamental leadership competency. I somewhat, I'm sure you're better at this than me, Eddie, but I think somewhat simply about leadership as, as being, you know, in a company, there's internal leadership, there's managing teams and managing 
in, internally, there's self-leadership, which is, you know, self-regulation and sharpening your own saw. It's, but that self, and then there's client leadership, the external marketplace. Now, you have to think of this more broadly than just purely clients who pay you money for a service. So for, I'll give you an example. It's, it's easy to see if you're the head of sales or marketing, or if you're a business unit head, you have to go out and meet with clients and customers, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you need to be good at that. But it's also true if you're, let's just say you're the head of IT, you're the chief information officer, you are also going to be meeting occasionally with major clients. In fact, you might be part of, of a kind of executive visit program where you are given a portfolio of flagship clients and it's your responsibility to, to go meet with them a couple times a year so that you might get involved that way. There's another way you might get involved and that is managing your key stakeholders. So to use my CIO analogy, the CIO might need to be managing major partnerships, alliances, let's just say with Amazon or Microsoft or Google, right? Mm-hmm. And or Oracle. And those are critical relationships. And honestly, the same techniques you use in building client relationships, you need to use with, with those types of external stakeholders, right? You need to go out and build rapport with them. You need to understand what their, their agenda, what they're trying to get out of it. You need to then uh, help them with their agenda. So it's, it's a you know, win-win relationship. Uh, eventually, you want to build a personal relationship with them because that creates many benefits. I don't mean you need to become best friends, but that creates many benefits that just having that arm's length transactional relationship has. So you can see that a lot, the same process you need to apply towards. And nowadays, leaders have to be managing these outside stakeholders because of the interconnectedness of our business ecosystem. Yes, no longer is it okay to just have our one silo that we're, we're looking at. We have exactly. to extend our vision. Yeah, exactly. And something about your answer I really love, Andrew, is your depth of experience is very clear. We didn't say this, but uh, listeners should know that you are a past uh, CEO. You are a person who spent years in management consulting. And when a reader reads your work, you don't just tell theories that you've researched as an author. You are a best-selling author who sold hundreds of thousands of books, but you always tell a story about your theories that come directly from your client work. And I felt as a reader, and I'm sure others do as well, that we're getting access to the C-suite when we read your work. Well, thank, first of all, Eddie, thank you for saying that. I'm really, I'm really delighted you noticed that, especially in It Starts With Clients. I really try to tried to use my, you know, 35 plus years of experience to, to enrich the book with a lot of important stories and anecdotes. Many of them are my own. Some of them are my client stories, you know, leaders I've worked with at these different companies who had incredible experiences because it does bring them to life. So stories, I think, are critical because we tend to remember them. Our brains are wired for them. Just to give you an example, I could talk on and on about the importance of understanding your client's agenda, what I call agenda setting, which is a process. First, you've got to react to what they're asking you to do. Then you need to sense their agenda and really understand it. And then ideally, you help them to shape it collaboratively, to improve it. 
their agenda being their three to five critical priorities, needs, or goals. So for example, what really drove that home for me, because a lot of people will say, well, yeah, of course you got to understand, you know, what's important to the other person is uh, I worked with the top partner at one of the biggest uh, strategy consulting firms in the world, top partner in the sense that every year he sold more business than any other partner out of hundreds in the firm. And every year consistently, year after year. And I had lunch with him once and I said, Bill, I'm, I'm curious, what's your secret? You're the top performing partner in this entire global firm. And he looked at me and he said, and he, he, he pulled a little sheet of paper out of his pocket and he said, Andrew, do you see this piece of paper? And it was all crumbled up and scribbled on and you know, uh-huh. annotated. He said, on this piece of paper, I've written down the names of each of my clients, the individual executives, not the companies, the individual executives. And next to their name, I've written their two or three most critical goals for this year. My job is to make them successful and help them accomplish those goals. I like that. And he didn't define himself as, oh, I'm a strategy consultant. I'm an engineering operations consultant. I'm an innovation consultant. He defined himself as being in the business of helping his clients achieve their most critical goals. Obviously, in his bailiwick, within his expertise, you know, we can't, I can't help my clients, you know, with a risk management program in finance, because that's not really my expertise. But you see what I'm saying? That was his focus. Right. No, I love that. And to me, it's very powerful to think of yourself that way. Whether you're, you're a coach, for example, a leadership coach, my job is to help my clients achieve their most critical business goals. And actually, personal goals. Yes. It's not just their business goals. It's their personal goals. It's their career aspirations. Uh, Perhaps they have a learning agenda and you can help facilitate that. Perhaps they want to expand their network. Maybe they're going through a family crisis and they just, you know, and and just even knowing that helps you be more empathetic. Do you see what I'm saying? And Absolutely. to help them out. So you need to know both the professional and the personal agenda. And if you and when you do know that to a very deep extent, that becomes powerful because then when you know more about your client than any other competitor, when you understand their issues more than anyone else who works with them, that massively differentiates you. Indeed. And in that answer, you reveal the other thing I love about your work, Andrew, and that is not only do you give us graphic illustrations in the, through the stories you tell, I see those characters come alive. Even as you started describing that, I felt like I was listening to an audiobook. but they, they come alive and you tell us how you end every chapter with mm. strategies that we can take to actually now do what you've explained and illustrate it. And so just extremely compelling. Well, thank you so much. Well, I'm I'm delighted you that it struck you in that way. And I've had a handful of clients read the advanced copies and they're they're pretty excited. Good. Well, I'm talking to the amazing Andrew Sobel, a globally recognized executive who speaks four languages and is the best-selling author of nine books in 21 different languages. He's the leading authority on the strategies and skills required to earn lifelong client loyalty and build trusted business partnerships. We'll have more with Andrew right after this. 
This podcast is sponsored by Eddie Turner, LLC. Organizations who need to accelerate the development of their leaders call Eddie Turner the Leadership Accelerator. Eddie works with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Call Eddie Turner to help your leaders one-on-one as their coach or to inspire them as a group through the power of facilitation or a keynote address. Visit eddieturnerllc.com to learn more. This is Patricia Fripp, the presentation skills expert, and you're listening to the Keep Bleeding podcast with my friend, Eddie Turner. We're back, everyone. I am thoroughly excited to be talking to Andrew Sobel, a globally renowned executive who speaks four languages and is the best-selling author of nine books in 21 different languages. He is the leading authority on the strategies and skills required to earn lifelong client loyalty and build trusted business partnerships. We're talking about his new book, by the way. It starts with clients. And through Andrew, I feel like I have gained access to the mind of CEOs and what it means to be in the C-suite. And uh, through his new book, he reveals strategies that all of us can apply. Andrew, what separates great brain makers who are able to earn clients for life as trusted advisors from ordinary professionals? So, Eddie, that's the million-dollar question, uh, and one that I have spent many years studying. So I, I hope, hope I can give you an answer here. Uh, <laughs> of course, first of all, there's no one thing, obviously. There's no silver bullet. And secondly, I think each of us does have certain gifts that we bring to bear in different in different measure, right? So okay. I don't think every every great rainmaker is not a, a a sort of cookie cutter of the other, as it were. Uh, but there are, I think, there are a few things. One of them I mentioned earlier in the show, which is they think of themselves not as a purveyor of a product or solution, not as a as in business to to sell a particular product or solution, but they see themselves as uh, that their role is to really help improve the the client's business and organization to help that client meet their goals and they may do it through a particular product they sell or a particular service but they have that bigger picture conception of their role it's a i'm using the word a bit loosely but it's almost a more transcendent conception of their role with clients if you see what i mean mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, i'm a great salesman for x product i think you know, there's a second interesting quality about these individuals uh, and it, it is that they are at the crossroads of the market. The best ones are. And here's what I mean. Uh, so I, I had a, during the you know, talk about recessions in 2008, 2009, I had a client who was in the executive search business and he, he called me up and said, Andrew, it's terrible out there. Uh, I call clients up. They don't even want to see me. They say, look, we're not hiring anyone. We don't, we don't need you. And I said to my my friend, look, here's what's wrong with this picture. Clients should view you as being such an interesting font of information about the market, about talent, about leadership, and all that stuff, that that they will always be willing to see you, Mm. even if they're not, even if they don't need your services. How about that? They're going to want to see you because you'll always have something interesting to say. And so I think that you do that by actually getting out into the market and talking to lots of people. My old co-author, my dear late Jerry Panis, uh, my Power Questions co-author, 
he used to say, uh, he, he was very old fashioned and he would say, if you want milk, you've got to get out of the house and go out to the barn, no matter what the weather. Okay. And, you know, the point is, the, the more you're out there talking to people, whether it's prospects, clients, just people you know in the industry, the more valuable you become to your clients because you're, you've got the pulse of what's going on. So they're at the, they're at the crossroads of the marketplace. And, that, and therefore, clients are always interested to see them. You know, an, another interesting characteristic of the really great rainmakers and trusted advisors is they are a trusted advisor to their best clients when when there's lots of business and when there's no business in other words wow they're there even when there aren't big fees coming in they're still checking in they're still going and having coffee and you know offering to be a sounding board and give advice and so on and so i think that's again a different way of thinking about it because a lot of people eddie you know they get busy they're delivering on contracts they've sold and they, they kind of forget about all those past clients in, instead of maintaining this attitude of, no, I, it's almost like I'm your trusted advisor forever. Now, obviously, there's limits to that. I'm not saying you're just constantly doing free work for people, but it's, it's, a, it's an attitude. And all you need to do is stay in touch occasionally and be helpful. And it does give people the feeling that, hey, Eddie's there for me. Even if I don't have a formal coaching assignment with Eddie, he, it's okay if I call him up once in a while, right? Right. So I think that's that's also very very powerful. Okay, Andrew. Now I uh, have a new set of assignments I need to put on my to do list for next week. Thank you. <laughs> you better get busy, Eddie. <laughs> no, that is really a good reminder and so very true. So clients should be seeking us no matter the circumstances, and they will only do that if we've proven ourselves to be a font of knowledge who offers value and as you so beautifully say in your work moves from being just the hired expert to being the trusted advisor yeah yeah and as you said eddie uh, in terms of my new book there is a lot of detail in it on the how-to because too many business books are full of platitudes you know you need to listen well you need to ask good questions you need to be a trusted advisor to your clients but honestly most of the often people don't really, I hate to say this, but they may not have the experience to be able to spell it out for you. Here's exactly what you need to do. And that's something I, I hope I've done for my readers in this new book. Indeed you have. In fact, um, at one while, your book, Power Questions, was like a Bible to me. I carried it around. I would uh, go through it really quickly before a uh, client engagement. And when I read your new book, I realized I hadn't read the Power Questions book in a while. And I went back and kind of perused it last night. Oh. When, I, when I picked up the new book, the first chapter I went to was the chapter about the power questions that you ah, used to see what you had put in. Yeah, and there's a few new ideas in there. I hope you and, saw that. Yes, and that's uh, what I was going to say. So when you said that, I loved how you explained. Instead of asking this question, and you'd explain why, because it's trite, because it's overused, and this is what everybody says, yeah. you would say, hey, ask this. And so it right. really helps those of us who want to move from just being transactional to building these relationships by applying what you've written there. Yeah. Can I get, in fact, can I bust a cliche for you? Uh, people always say there's no bad questions, Eddie. Actually, <laughs> actually sorry, there are bad questions. 
And so, you know, well, well that's one myth I, I, I hope I, I bust in the book, which is there are bad questions. There, there, there are all kinds of bad questions that people ask, and they make you look less smart, not smarter. Yes, yes. And uh, bust away. Absolutely. And I must stop saying that as well. Sometimes when leading a class, I'll say that. But yes, uh, there are certain things, especially when in our client relationships, if we're going to uh, exercise client leadership, there are some questions we clearly want to avoid. Sure. I mean, look, in general, you're not going to shoot yourself in the foot by asking a question. Okay. But you could go meet with a CEO and ask questions that were too basic. And the CEO might be thinking, you know, you could have learned this before you came in to see me. Yes. Just to give you an example, right? You, you, you know, they might say, yeah, you in the back of their head, you really should have gone to school a little more. Yes. I love how you open up Empower Questions. Uh, there's a quote that you used that either you said or one of your senior executives said about what CEOs can tell about a consultant by the type of question that they ask. Oh, yeah. You want to share yeah. that? Yeah, basically. That happened years ago. I was actually in Chicago interviewing uh, the CEO of a $10 billion company for for uh, actually another book at the time. And he said to me, you know, Andrew, I can always tell how experienced uh, a potential supplier or advisor is, you know, whether it's a lawyer or a banker, uh, by the quality of the questions they ask. Yes. That tells me how experienced they are. Yes. Yeah, notice he didn't say, I can always tell how good they are by the quality <laughs> of their PowerPoint slides. I and start he, laughing because, yes, that's what you said there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, but, uh, that anyway. stood out to me. That's definitely one of the highlights you'll find in my copy of your book. Uh, oh, that that section. Because, yes, absolutely. That speaks volumes. Well, a lot of credit goes to Jerry Panis. You know, my co-author, Jerry, was the leading fundraising consultant in the world, a very brilliant man. And I'll, I'll tell you a little secret that nobody knows. Okay. I, originally, when I started conceiving of this book, the title was Powerful Questions. And we actually sold it to the publisher with that title. And one day, Jerry called me up and said, you know, Andrew, I... I wonder if power questions isn't a better title. <laughs> okay. And I immediately went, holy cow, how come I didn't think of that? Of course it's a better title. <laughs> so uh, I, I credit Jerry with, honestly, it's a, it's like a hundred times better. And uh, so, uh, cause a lot of my clients have adopted the language. They talk about, okay, what's the power question we're going to ask in this meeting. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because I didn't think about that until I looked at the book yesterday with fresh eyes. When I read the book before, I was not a coach. I hadn't gone through coach training, ah. but I've since have and I'm certified and I've done like two different organizations training. So in my mind, I found myself always saying powerful questions because that's what you hear. But when I looked at, at your book again for fresh eyes yesterday, not only did I understand that, hmm, it is just it just says power question. Yeah, exactly. Singular. Exactly. And then I looked at the illustration where you have the power symbol in the yeah. question mark. And that didn't stand out to me before. And, uh, it, and I got it. <laughs> excellent. Okay. So everyone wants to gain access to the C-suite and to senior executives. Why is it so hard? It's so hard because in the last 10 or 15 years, people have more and more people are trying to meet with the C-suite. 
more and more people are uh in and that that's for many reasons i think we're we're in some ways they're more powerful than they used to be uh they uh are viewed as you know almost celebrities in their own right uh but also frankly a lot of uh purchase decisions they aren't made in the c suite but they they do have to okay them if you know what i mean yes uh and and so on so everybody's trying to get into to to see people in the c suite and c suite executives therefore have become ever more protective of their schedules they also they do want to ensure that their teams are are empowered to to sort of take decisions and to meet with people they don't want to be the bottleneck and and so uh, and the other the, the, there's another reason which is the external responsibilities of top executives have multiplied in recent years mm-hmm. you know me, dealing with regulators dealing with key clients dealing with alliance partners all kinds of uh external responsibilities that these executives have and we now have something both great and terrible called email so if you think about it the demands on their time have just multiplied there's actually an was an article a few years ago in the harvard business review where they track this and so 30 years ago it was something like a thousand or two thousand communication interactions a year and now it's more like twenty-five thousand. wow so there's been this there's actually a chart in this article showing this because think about it we had uh, voice messaging you know for before first you had just like telephone calls then you had voice messaging then e- then uh you know email developed and the internet and on and on and so there's been this long almost geometric progression so i think there's a lot of reasons therefore if you want access to the c-suite you really have to you know think through what your strategy is and and there's two parts to it obviously part of it is how do you build a network of more senior executives and the other is how do you get in to see an, a, a senior executive that you don't know very well mm-hmm. uh, and i'll tell you right now again no silver bullet here but i'll tell you right now with senior executives most of them have told me in surveys i've done and this is corroborated with other research that they generally won't see someone they don't know unless they've been recommended to them by a colleague or friend yes yeah so that's number one or there's a second condition if they feel they have a particularly interesting idea and the other the the other way around that I believe you address in, in your book in the last chapter about becoming a person of interest am I right exactly exactly so person of interest of course is a subject of a law enforcement investigation doesn't mean you can <laughs> cry but you know they talk about a person of interest in this investigation so i kind of humorously use that term but basically what what is it about people business professionals that that a top executive would actually seek them out and look it starts with your reputation in your field of course you need to have some renown some visibility that you're really your tops, you know, in executive coaching, Eddie's one of the go-to people. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you have to be the go-to person in the world or even the United States, but it might be in a certain industry or a certain group of executives. You're known as being a, a fantastic executive coach, right? And 
you know, for me, for example, there's certain industries I work a lot in, like professional services, like financial services. So I'm much better known in those industries than, say, manufacturing, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you need to build that reputation. I, I think there's there's a second piece, though, that's really important. Okay. You have to approach more senior executives with a different level of thought leadership. Mm. So I'll use your business as an example. You might approach, let's just say an HR executive who hires you might be very interested in your coaching methodology, you know, or right. They're going to like, what training do you have or what methodology do you use? And is it this? And is it that? And what are the checkpoints and how do you ensure continuous learning and all these things? Whereas if you were talking to a more top executive, you know, they'd be more interested in knowing about who else have you coached? Yes, yes. And what results, you know, and like, what results did you get for them? Uh, they're, they're much more interested in the impact and the results. And have, and, and have you handled their issues before? So that's just a simple example how the, so. The, no, that's the, spot on. That's a great example. Is that, is that fair? I mean, because I also have a small, I have a small executive coaching practice and, you know, that would be typical for, for my experience. So I think, and, and so the thought leadership, whereas you might be talking to that HR executive, or I might be talking to a learning and development executive about, you know, more of my, the sort of content and my teaching methodologies and my digital learning suite and all this stuff. Whereas with a top executive, I'm talking to them about culture change, about creating a clients for life organization, right? How, how do you align your entire organization towards creating true breakthrough client experiences? What does that look like? And so Uh, you've got to be developing that kind of thought leadership. You can't just go in and talk to senior executives about your methodologies. And I do see that mistake quite often. Uh, One one client of mine very quickly, who is an accounting partner at a big four firm, was invited to the uh, dinner with the board of directors of his client. And he told me in front of a big group, he was very, you know, confessional. He said during, he went all prepared to talk about taxation issues and you know, VAT policy and all this stuff. And, and during the dinner, he said the questions he was peppered with, it started with, what do you think is going to happen to the dollar euro exchange rate? Yeah. Or what do you think about this macro event that's occurring? And he he told me he was totally unprepared for the dinner because he didn't really think that these board members we're going to be much more interested in big macro issues than they were in his accounting methodologies. Isn't that something? And he said he learned his lesson. A lesson well learned, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I, I, I got to tell you, I'm just fascinated and I, I'm, I'm stuttering because I, <laughs> I'm i talking to somebody who I've wanted to talk to for a long time and who I haven't talked to in years, actually. It's probably been true. like yeah, 10 been years since you and I have talked, right? We've had right. email communication there, but haven't spoken. And so I have just thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, Andrew. And I got to tell folks, It Starts With Clients is a book you want to read. Uh, Andrew gets into how we can master the first meeting, how we reframe for maximum impact, something we talk about a lot in coaching, how to use those power questions that I was talking about earlier and how to build senior executive relationships and so much more. What is the biggest takeaway you want our listeners to have from this conversation, Andrew? You know, uh, I think maybe on two fronts on, in terms of specifically thinking about 
growing your client base, I want to say one thing. You have to lower the threshold for a client meeting. That is actually one of the secrets to growing your client base because a lot of people feel they can't go talk. It's the expert mindset. I can't go talk to a client or a prospect unless I've got a brilliant idea or you know, a 30-page PowerPoint presentation. Whereas when you have the trusted advisor mindset, you know you can go talk to clients, have a cup of coffee with them, ask them a few powerful questions, and 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 share some observations about their business or about other clients you're working with, and you can have a great conversation. So lower your threshold for a conversation with a client, for a meeting with a client. You'll get in front of more people, and you'll learn more, and then you'll become ever more valuable. I think on the client side, that would be, and you know, on the leadership side, of course, as we've discussed, I think you have to think about yourself, about the importance of your client leadership. You know, so if in a company you have a relationship with a big client, even if you're the CFO, you ought to be building a relationship with the CFO of that other company. Mm-hmm. If you're the head of HR, you ought to be building a relationship with the head of HR at that other company. Do you see what I mean? That's a really good point. You know? I like that. Thank you for sharing that. And that's a different way of thinking about it too. On the Keep Leading podcast, we like to find out what's the best piece of advice you've ever received or your favorite quote that you use to help yourself to keep leading. Can you share what that is for you with our listeners? Sure. This is one piece of advice I got, which I'll be honest, was hard for me to take at the time uh, because it kind of goes against the... (laughs) the selfish human heart, right? And that advice was, uh, Andrew, the great boss, you know, the great manager, the great leader is the one who, when things go well, when there's a big success, gives all the credit to their te- his or her team. And when they don't go well, they take the blame. Mm. And it's a very simple statement, but I think it's very powerful. And I, I jokingly said it goes against the selfish human heart, but it is true. You know, yes. um, we, we, when things go great, we, we, we want to give credit to the team, but we also want to make sure everybody knows that we were masterminding it, you know, as the person in charge. And I think those are the really, I think uh, maybe it's Daniel Goleman who refers to this. It's part of level five leadership. You know, it's that humility that people have, like the founder of Walmart and so on. But I, I always like that that quote, and I've tried to remember it. Thank you, Andrew. Where can my listeners learn more about you? Uh, two two resources. One is just my website, andrewsobel.com. And there's a, secondly, my learning academy. I've got several uh, great online programs on building relationships externally and internally. And that's simply learning.andrewsobel.com. So andrewsobel.com and learning.andrewsobel.com. Lots of free resources Uh, on both those sites. Wonderful. Well, we will be sure to place that into the show notes so that people can go to those sites and get access to your resources, many of which you give away at no cost. And uh, folks can do a lot of learning just by spending a little time on your site. Wonderful. Eddie, you've been a fantastic host, really. This has been a delightful interview. You've made me think, and uh, I I really appreciate uh, being a guest on your program. Thank you. I It's been just an honor for me. Thank you, Andrew. You're welcome. And thank you for listening. That concludes this episode, everyone. I'm Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator, reminding you that leadership is not about our title or our position. Leadership is an activity. Leadership is action. 
It's not the case of once a leader, always a leader. It's not a garment we put on and take off. We must be a leader at our core and allow it to emanate in all we do. So whatever you're doing, always keep leading. Thank you for listening to your host, Eddie Turner, on the Keep Leading Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the Keep Leading Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. For more information about Eddie Turner's work, please visit eddieturnerllc.com. Thank you for listening to C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.